Welcome to the Fried Hartman Leadership Podcast from the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, the podcast dedicated to developing and encouraging spiritual leaders for the kingdom. Welcome to season two of the FHU Leadership Podcast. We're excited about a new season of the fall semester of 2023, and so we're looking forward to 10 more episodes, and I'm excited to have my good friend Kyle Butt here for episode one. Kyle, welcome. Thanks, Josh. I'm excited to be here. Kyle, um, I, I often assume that everybody knows about Apologetics Press, but I don't want to make that assumption today, so will you tell us a little bit about Apologetics Press and, and your background? Sure. I went to Freed Hardman back in 95 to 2000. And while I was there, got a double major there in Bible and communication. Love my time there. Really appreciate what the school does. Really appreciated the good Bible education. But I didn't know what I was going to do with that necessarily. I guess I thought I'd get out and preach. Uh, ended up also staying an extra year or so and getting my master's in New Testament. And then I was offered a job to be the editor of the little kids magazine, Discovery, that had been going at that time, I think 14, 15 years down in Montgomery, Alabama at an organization called Apologetics Press. I wasn't real familiar with it, but our mutual friend, Chad Thompson, at the time his dad was the director of it and went down there, he offered me a job and I thought, okay, this is great, let's, let's do it. So uh, I had just gotten married to Bethany Glass at the time, of course, Bethany Butt. Now we've been married 23 years, and we started everything all at once. We were married in December, started the new job at Apologetics Press in January, and went from there. Apologetics Press turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. It's an organization that's designed to deal lots with skepticism. On the door, basically, we have a nonprofit organization dedicated to the defense of New Testament Christianity. But what that looks like a lot is from the Bible and the science side of things, providing evidence for the existence of God, the inspiration of the Bible, the deity of Christ, and then just any other questions that come up with that and how can we refute evolution and how can we show that creation is a scientifically and biblically and what philosophically viable idea, et cetera. And so that's what we do. We produce all kinds of books. We've got a free curriculum online that people can use for their Bible class. We do tons of videos. That's where we're going. And our website has got now about 43 years of materials and articles and answers to a lot of questions that people have along those lines. Y'all do an incredible job. Y'all are such a service to the brotherhood. And um, the, the website is so useful, which is apologeticspress.com. Uh, and also your um, videos on YouTube uh, are great, all, all different types of videos, from longer videos to shorter videos to videos that are great to show your family. We use them a lot in our family devotionals. I use them in Bible classes here at Freed Hartman. Uh, just really great resources for churches to be using. Yeah, appreciate that. And the, as a nonprofit, it's apologeticspress.org. And, and what we've really gotten a bunch of traction on lately is the four, five, six minute short videos where you can put in some more graphics and make it a little more visually appealing. And some of those, I mean, we're getting 500,000 views in a month on some of those. A couple of those we have almost 3 million views. And of course, the credit goes to God always. Uh, there's nothing that we're doing that is 
uh, something that, hey, because we're doing it or because we have this skill or whatever that's happening, we're just trying to use the resources that God's given us to provide answers in places where people are looking for those. And lots of times that ends up being YouTube or that ends up being in a video format or sometimes written form, et cetera. And so that's what we're trying to do. Kyle was my roommate here at Freed Harmon and one of my best friends, and I'm so thankful for him and his work and his family. And, and now I get to be with his kids up here on campus, and so uh, thankful for that. And Kyle's, we're on Zoom, so you may notice there's a little bit of uh, maybe a little different, but we're hoping that the, the sound quality and everything still turns out so well on our podcast. And, and Kyle, you're also in our uh, doctor ministry program here, and so uh, we're thankful for that. And I uh, want to encourage people out there that are considering that to look at Freed Harmon as an option. Hey, absolutely. And boy, I sure would plug that program. I have loved it. The professional teachers and professors that are involved, strong Bible, very spiritual, and very well taught. The cohort where you, you get with a certain group and move through for the three years or so. I've just been so blessed and impressed by the quality of education, and it's really neat. Yes, and we're, we're so glad and honored to have you as a student in that program and um, an MDiv graduate and now uh, doing the Doctor of Ministry. Kyle, uh, so the reason we had, we had you on and I wanted to talk to you, besides just all the apologetics things that we could talk about and pumping AP and pumping our Doctor of Ministry program, is, is uh, you have something big coming up on, I believe the date is October 25th. Uh, will you tell us about that? And then we're going to talk a little bit about that. Sure. I got a, I have a debate coming up with a man by the name of Michael Shermer down on the campus of Faulkner University, October 25th. It's going to be a two-hour debate on the proposition, the God of the Bible exists. Of course, I'll be affirming that, and he'll be denying that. And he is a very well-known atheist and, and uh, multiple-time New York Times best-selling writer and author. He started the Skeptic magazine and has been featured in all kinds of talk shows like the Joe Rogan show and the Ben Shapiro show. And he's just very prolific in his writing and his attacks on God and on the Bible and basically anything religious. And so it's going to be at the gym there at Faulkner. I think it's going to be a venue that'll hold maybe twelve to 1,500 people. And what we can see looks like prima facie there is going to be that they're all going to be filled it's going to be a field packed house and so we're looking forward to that great and Kyle this is this is not your first debate um so let's begin kind of going backwards a little bit why did you choose to do debates and what's been some of the history of the past debates and and kind of um what's come out of those great questions uh, here is how our debates so far have come about. It's really been nothing that we at AP have sought out or tried to design to do. The first one, uh, two of them have played out with Faulkner, actually. Our home base there in Montgomery, Alabama is about a mile and a half away from the Faulkner campus, and we have ties there insofar as sometimes we'll be asked to come speak at chapel on various different apologetic issues. and. The first time, there was a man by the name of Donnie Hillier who was a professor there, and his nephew was at the University of South Carolina 
who was the president of the Pastafarian organization there at University of South Carolina, which is an atheistic organization that says, hey, there's no more evidence for God than there is for a flying spaghetti monster, thus the name Pastafarians. And they asked him if he wanted to debate. Now, he was the marriage and family counselor and teacher there at Faulkner, and so that wasn't really in his wheelhouse. So he called us at AP and said, would you like to do this? And, you know, we kind of scratched our heads and looked around and said, yeah, we've never done anything like that, but hey, this is the field of work that we are involved in, so we probably need to be prepared to do it. And that's how that first one got going. And then subsequently we had two more. That one was with Dan Barker, the co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And that is, I think, one of the largest unbelieving organizations in the nation. And it's the one that is very litigious. They sue people all over the country for saying prayers over public announcement systems and things like that. And so had that debate with him and then had a debate at the University of North Alabama at the request of the Christian Student Center there on campus of UNA with a guy, actually we had two there. One of them was with uh, a guy that had been voted American Atheist of the Year for two years. Another one, the second one there in 2014 was with Bart Ehrman multiple New York Times bestseller and a professor there at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And he had just come out with a new book titled God's Problem, How the Bible Fails to Answer Humanity's Most Pressing Problem on the Problem of Evil, Pain, and Suffering. And so this one came about in a similar way. Faulkner was going to be doing a debate, but they didn't know really with who or what. And so they called us, said, ask us if we wanted to do that. And we said, yeah, that'll that would be something we'd look at if certain things were lined up. It originally was going to be only an hour. And we said, you know, to make it any, any, any real productive, I think it needs to be a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And then basically they said, hey, well, who do you want to get to debate? And so I, I, I got online and Googled top atheistic debaters, and three came up. And I sent the names to David Hester there at the, in the Bible department at Faulkner and said, hey, if you can get any of these guys, then let's do it. And one of them, Michael Shermer, said, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. And so that's how it played out. Wow. So what is your, like, what's your aim? What's your goal in, a, in hoping to accomplish by doing these debates? That's a real good question. And there are a lot of, a lot of different views as to the productivity of a debate. I mean, why do you debate people? Doesn't it just ultimately get into a big argument? Isn't it uh, ineffective in converting the people? But then on the other hand, you have people that just feel like this is the greatest venue that you can possibly present the truth in, et cetera. And so the real question is, do, do we feel like debate does good productive things in the world that would add to the, the positive spiritual value of our work and of what people who are watching would would they be um, affected? Would they have a a, a reaction in a positive way to how this material is prevent is presented? And so, here's here's my take on the whole thing. Um, it is another way to present the truth that looks to me to be very effective. And what I mean by that is some people you know, 
like to watch a YouTube video for five minutes. Some people want to watch a YouTube video for an hour and a half. Some people want to hear a 15-minute podcast. Some people want to hear a three-hour and 50-minute Joe Rogan talk podcast, etc. There, there are any number of ways that you can present the truth. It's almost to me like a how Coke markets their products. You can get a 20-ounce bottle, or you can get a 12-ounce can, or you can get an 8-ounce miniature can, or you can get a 2-liter, or you can get, just go down the list of things you can get. But it's all, you know, Coke on the inside. Yeah. And so to me, this is just another way to present the truth that really hits a certain group because this is how they want to assess truth. And, I, you know, we've had uh, lots of people come to us and say, hey, uh, the debates that you guys have done are the point at which I began to seriously think about what's going on in my life. And then we have recently had a, had a really neat uh, example of a person who was not a Christian at all. They started watching the three debates that we had done. They saw that World Video Bible School produced those debates, and so they then contacted them at World Video Bible School. They watched numerous videos from them. Then they ultimately ended up contacting Gospel Broadcasting Network and then House to House, and a guy flew over. The person that had watched the debates originally was in Cyprus, and a guy flew over from House to House eight hours there to Cyprus and baptized him and started the church there on the island of Cyprus. And that came from watching debates. Yeah. And so I think it really is a, a good way to present the truth, one good way. Of yeah. course, not the only way. And am I saying the best way? I don't know. I think it's a very good one. Uh, here's the thing that, you know, I think some people understand and it, it causes a little bit of, well, okay, why you do it? Generally speaking, you're not going to convert the person that you are debating. Yeah. And as I've been reading Michael Shermer's stuff, he even says, hey, uh, when I get in a debate with a person, I understand that most of the time I'm not changing their mind. Mm -hmm. But then he says, it's the audience that you are really presenting this material to affect. Yeah. And that's what I see to be the case. Do I believe Dan Barker, a very hardened uh very, what I would call a rabid atheist who sues people all over the nation to not use God in public venues. Do I believe that in two hours I'm going to present new information to him that's going to convert him? No. Have I seen the fact that when that information is presented, the audience and the broader viewership of those people who watch the videos, they are affected in a positive spiritual way by it? Yes. And there again, just, just the fact that atheists so often use the venue of debate to present their atheism, I think that they understand that it is a method to get their teaching out there. And I think we've got to be able to stand up to that and say, New Testament Christianity is true. It's reasonable. It is something that is backed by evidence and corresponds perfectly to everything logically and philosophically sound that there is. And we're willing to stand up and say that publicly, and we're not ashamed of that. Yes, there's a real sense where if Christians always refuse to take it, almost taking a what we might consider a high road by saying, well, we're just not going to get into that public argument or that makes us look bad, we really almost come off cowardly to the world, would you say, Kyle? 
of like we're afraid. I think so, and yeah, and and you know when you look at how God has presented the truth in the past, lots of times it is in a very public and contest-like manner. You go back to Elijah with the prophets of Baal, and that is a debate. Now, uh, it's not one like we use logical propositions, etc., extensively, but here was the proposition, either Baal was God or Yahweh, Jehovah is God, and one of these people is going to be able to present evidence to prove that, and notice that in that exchange, the prophets of Baal were not the target. In fact, after the prophets of Baal lost, they were punished severely, but the reaction of the people was that they bowed down and said, Jehovah, he is God. And so the audience was the one that was affected by the evidence-based public contest. And I think that's always been a way that God has presented the truth. And lots of times, if you look in the life of Jesus, how Jesus made sure that many of his exchanges were exchanges that were very public when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him and they were asking these questions. Jesus wanted the audience to see, okay, here's what they have said. Here's the truth about that. And eventually it got to where they, the Pharisees and Sadducees quit asking him in public because they could not withstand the logic and the reason and the truth that Jesus was presenting to them. And every time they had that public exchange, Jesus always came out on top. That's a good point. The, the Gospel of John is a great example all throughout of Christ doing that with the Pharisees. Um, Kyle, when I want to give a, an example of this, too. Uh, my daughter, who's 16, went to AP camp uh, this past summer, and she heard about the debate that you had done on, uh, with Dan Barker several years ago. And she went back and watched the whole debate, and it really helped give her not only knowledge, but it also gave her conviction that she can defend her faith and that there are answers out there and you do not have to be afraid of the atheist or the secularist um, coming up with things that we can't defend. And so, you know, my daughter watching your debate has really helped her faith. And so I just want to kind of put that out there to say that I think exactly what you're saying is true, that there really is an audience uh, for these debates and that there's really great purpose in it. Um, So... Let's kind of transition because this is a podcast for church leaders. Uh, so what should, what should church leaders or why should church leaders care about these debates in terms of how can they use them? We mentioned they're online. How could a local church uh, or, or Bible classes or eldership, deacons, how could they use this material in a local co- congregational setting? Well, I have a lot of people use them in different ways. I'll tell you a couple examples of that. Uh, number one, I don't know if you know Russell Smith. You, you know Russell Smith, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell, he, of course, we went to school with Russell. Mm-hmm. I, I said that just because he's been here in Columbia for a little while, but he, he's a, a preacher at a local congregation, small congregation, maybe 80, 100, but he also teaches Bible class at Columbia Academy. Mm-hmm. And he uses the debates in his Bible class teaching where he will show the kids the debate and then they'll go through it and say, okay, this was said and this was said. And it's a very, very effective way to bring up the questions that 
these kids are having because they are being presented with this information online and from their friends, et cetera. And so, you know, the, the idea that, okay, uh, this, this uh, debate-style format uh, isn't really what we need because it, some people say, well, it introduces new questions that they've never asked, et cetera. But what we find out is, no, these young people are struggling with this way before they ever come to the debate. And so I, you know, like you, I have had, I mean, I've had 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds that literally will watch the debates two or three or four times. And, you know, that's a two-hour debate. And they're sitting down and watching it for an hour, and then next week they're watching another hour next week. Because I think it's exactly like you're saying. It's helping them assess this stuff and realize, no, we've got an answer to that. Now, back to the church leadership idea. Uh, I had a guy come to me. I was speaking at the Lebanon Road Church of Christ for the Summer Youth Series this last summer. And came up to me and you know, shook my hand. He was very uh, intense in his, hey, want to thank you for what you guys are doing with these debates and stuff. And I said, you know, what you got going on? He said, well, I had grown up in the church, but got sideways of the law and was in a jail system. And in that jail system, I only could read religious materials. And the only thing in the jail was apologetics press stuff. And so that's what I read. Now, I thought that was funny that all, all the religious material in the jail was AP stuff. Now, we've always had a policy of we send everything at our disposal for absolutely free to every prisoner or jail system that there is. And so this, I don't know how long I've been sitting there, but so it sounds like he reads AP stuff for the next two or three years, gets out, and he said, I went, I watched your debates when I got out, and I became a Christian, and now it sounded like he was the youth minister at a congregation where he was using the debate as the format for his Christian evidence curriculum for his youth group. And so you're looking at a direct application for church leadership in that you can use the, the debate, the questions that come up in the debate, et cetera, if you wanted to. And, it, and it's interactive for the kids because they'll sit and watch the debate. And it's also, you know, I feel like something where they can say, okay, what did Kyle say right? Well, what did he say wrong? How can that be improved upon? What did uh, the atheist here in this situation, did he have a point? What was the point? How can we answer that point? And it's just a really good point-by-point -point discussion of what those kids are really going to hear. Good stuff, Kyle. I, I like that. I hope church leaders will think about incorporating this. Uh, and it, it really helps with prompting discussion. I know at Seven Oaks, even we watched uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, we watched some of the debates over several weeks. Um, and so there's just, there's different possibilities of way of using it. It doesn't have to be just for the youth, but certainly youth are a great outlet for this. Kyle, so most all of us, obviously, we're not going to be in a debate setting where we have 1,500 people out there listening to us for two hours like you are. We appreciate your training and your expertise in this area and being willing to do that. But what tips, all of us do come in contact with unbelievers. Uh, we have people that want to, you know, challenge our convictions. So what tips would you give Christians in how to defend their faith when they get in these, we call them discussions, but when they get in these debates uh, at work uh, with family members, you know, when they're talking to someone about the Bible and about core convictions, what tips would you give them 
uh, to go to to defend their faith? First, I would like to just encourage everyone to recognize that there's nothing new under the sun and that everything that they will hear has been answered somewhere. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is shocking to hear an atheist present something that you've never heard. And, of course, the proverb writer says, the first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and answers him. And when a 14, 15, 16-year-old hears, hey, you know, Jesus is just a copy of the other 15 different Savior gods in the world that we've known are false for years, and this is just another iteration of that. that that's shocking to them when they hear that. Now, there are great answers for that. And so the first thing I would say is, and, and you know, people, I, I talked to a, a guy who was a member of the church in Canada said he'd been a member of the church for 30 years. We were talking about how can a loving God allow the death or cause the death of innocent children. And I presented a lesson at PTP, and he said, you know, this was very helpful. I've been a Christian for 30-something years, and I've never had what I thought was a satisfactory answer to this. Like you say, this isn't just teenage. But the first thing is to recognize these challenges to the Christian faith have been answered. The second thing that I always ask an atheist to do when I'm dealing with them, and it's very helpful, I think, in any discussion, is to say, okay, I, I know that you believe that there are all kinds of pieces of evidence that disprove God, disprove the Bible, et cetera, but give me your very strongest point, the one idea that you believe to be the most powerful evidence against the existence of God. Now, you would be surprised that most of them will not do that. They don't want to do that. Because once a person presents their number one most strongest, the, the strongest piece of evidence that they've got, if you can answer that, then everything else has to be weaker and answerable. And so many times when I say, okay, great, glad that we're having this discussion, but let's deal with your strongest one that makes it much more manageable. But then here's the third thing that I, that I really want people to understand. Atheism and unbelief has zero logical, philosophical, reasonable evidence to commit. It literally is, according to Psalm 14.1, the most foolish belief that a person could hold on to. And that's just a fact. And the Bible consistently calls unbelief sinful. When Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, what he is saying is there's no uh, legitimacy to it. There's nothing to commend it. There's nothing that you should look at and say, oh, you know, these people are unbelievers, but at least they're honestly thinking about it. At least they're, okay, no. Uh, the evidence is there to believe in God, and if a person doesn't, it's because they are sinning in some way. That, that unbelief is sin. And because of that, here's the next thing. It will be the case that if a person chooses not to believe, it does not matter what kind of evidence you present to them. They're choosing not to believe. And so what happens lots of times is a kid will come up to me and, says, hey, my, and say, hey, my friend is an atheist. You got any evidence to prove it, to prove God exists? And I'll say, yeah. You know, the design argument is irrefutable. It's great whenever you see complex functional design, there has to be an intelligent design. 
Well, they'll go back and they'll present that to their unbelieving friend. And the friend will say, well, I've heard that. I'm not convinced. I don't believe it. What else you got? And the Christian will come back and say, ah, that, that didn't work. What else do you have? Well, it's not that it didn't work because it's not good evidence. It didn't work because of the exact same reason that when Jesus raised Lazarus, that didn't convince the Pharisees to believe he was the son of God. If you want to choose to disbelieve, you're going to be able to do that. And so the next thing I always try to encourage people is, hey, when you present this legitimate good evidence, don't expect people to roll over and say, oh, hey, I'm now going to be a Christian because they've chosen unbelief. And many times it'll, now I think it's our responsibility to answer all their stuff. Okay, here's a alleged Bible contradiction. Don't answer it. Here's another one. Answer it. But don't think that just because you give a legitimate answer, the people are now going to become believers in God and Christians. Amen to that. There's They begin with the presupposition, as, as you were saying, even talking about the debates against these famous atheists. They're so hardened that, I think the Bible speaks to this, doesn't it, Kyle? That really this is about pride. And, and, and it takes so much of a humility on their part it would take so much humility on their part to be willing to renounce that atheism um, because their their whole existence and identity is tied up to that. So they begin with such presuppositions. And in many ways, the friends we may be talking to are also in that same line. And so in some ways, I've heard it said, it's almost like you just want to plant a pebble in their shoe. You want, you want it to be something uncomfortable for them that they will continue to think about, they'll continue to dwell on. And with our friends and family or our coworkers, if we can just make them think about it and consider it, they may in their pride not consent at that moment, but who knows how that seed's going to grow and how that's going to bother their conscience later on and maybe take root in their heart. Uh, that's very well put. And another aspect to that is there in 1 Peter 3, 15, where it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Lots of times, they really just want to know how you're going to respond, not what you're going to say. And they want to see if you're going to, in a loving way, in a kind way, in a reasonable way, respond to them in a way that says, I care about you, I care about your soul, this idea that you have is wrong, but I respect you as a person, and I want what's best for you. And so lots of times, what what the unbeliever comes back to is the approach and the the loving, respectful way that a person presents that truth as well. That's a that's a great point, Kyle. I appreciate you going there with our our talk here. That our attitude in doing it, speak the truth in love. Make sure mm-hmm. that love is a big part of it, and and they and they want to see that, and so they may not give in at first, but you can make an impact that will will go later on. Kyle, we're we're. Getting low on our time here that we want to stop. There's a couple things that I want us to close with. First of all, I want to I want you to remind our audience, because I know how just audibly hearing it, you can miss out, but remind us the date, time, and place of this next debate. Okay, it's going to be on Faulkner's campus in their gymnasium, October the 25th at 10 a.m. in the morning from 10 to 12. You know, basically chapel time to lunch. And it's going to be streamed live on GBN's website. And then World Video Bible School will record it, and it will be recorded and put on YouTube afterward. There is a 
RSVP sheet on Faulkner's webpage. I don't know exactly where, but they feel like that the seats are going to get taken and it's going to fill up. And so if you are wanting to go to the debate there, October 25th at 10, then you can go to their website and RSVP any number of people. Lots of times, as far as church leadership goes, there'll be a, a minister that will take 10, 15, 20, 30 people from their congregation down to the debate from various different congregations. And so you can sign up on that Faulkner webpage and RSVP how many people you're planning on bringing. So they'll have a concept of how full the place is going to be and those seats will you know, run out. So you might, if you're thinking about that, go ahead and do that. Kyle, thank you for that information. Also, we want to be in prayer for you uh, for this debate, that God will get tremendous glory from it and that it can do a lot of good in sowing the seeds of the truth and that much glory can come to God. And so we'll ask people to be praying about that and hope that if you're able to, you can attend. And if you can't attend, that you can uh, benefit from this uh, later on. Let me mention, too, we have something here with our uh, Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership coming up the end of September. It is uh, Friday, September 29th, and Saturday, September 30th is our annual church leadership workshop entitled this year, Ministry Essentials, and all this will take place at Mid-South Youth Camp. And we have a great lineup of speakers, including keynotes by Chris McClurley, Larry Ivory, and Andrew Phillips. Uh, we also have some very practical topics, including dealing with uh, worship in our assemblies, how to elevate our worship, how to plan your song service. Uh, we have programs or lectures re related to the missions program, to the benevolent program, how to be more evangelistic as a congregation. And then we also have, are addressing the issue of addictions in our congregations, uh, pornographic addictions and addictions in general. And so we have a lot of great topics that we're looking forward to doing. There's no cost to this put on by the Center for Excellence, and uh, the meals will be covered as well. We do ask you to uh, register, and you can do that at supportingspiritualleadership.com, supportingspiritualleadership.com. And so we encourage you to be a part of that uh, at Mid-South Youth Camp, September 29th and September 30th. Kyle, uh, in closing us out today, do you have any further thoughts or anything you want to add uh, before we uh, end our podcast? Well, just wanted to say appreciate being on the podcast and especially thank you for there at the end when you said uh, prayers for Kyle and the debate, the goal of every debate. In fact, the goal of every article we write, the goal of every video we ever put out is to magnify God, to make God big in the minds and the thoughts of other people and to, to as much as possible remove ourselves, remove our personalities and put God in the spotlight. And that's what the goal of this debate is. And I absolutely believe that the more Christians we have praying for the success of this, for me to be able to present the truth in a kind and forceful way and a way that is reasonable and logical and a way that is a representative of God, just as many people as we can get praying for God to be glorified, that would be uh, wonderful. And, and my main uh, request from anybody listening to this podcast today. Thank you, Kyle. We will uh, certainly be doing that. And we are asking and, and, and I want to just encourage you. Just thank you for doing this, Kyle. You know, thank you for this is a vacuum that, as you said, 
how it all came about. This is a vacuum that a lot of people wouldn't step into, and we appreciate uh, your training here at Freed Harmon and your work there at AP that have allowed you uh, to be prepared for these moments uh, to glorify God. Well, thank you for listening today, and we pre- uh, encourage you to go back and check out Season 1. We had 10 episodes there. If you haven't heard those before, go back and listen to those, and we look forward to uh, presenting more great content coming up in Season 2. And so thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Freed Harmon Leadership Podcast. For more great content and to see the services the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership offers your local congregation, please visit www.supportingspiritualleadership.com. Until next time, remember, God uses ordinary people to lead his people into extraordinary feats.